All right, well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you again and good to have this opportunity to share from the Word of God. I trust that we will all glean some valuable wisdom as we seek the true source of all wisdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, We have been going through a series on the Hall of Faith, uh, which I've been going through as I've been speaking to you about once a month. And Lord willing, uh, if I get the opportunity, we will resume that in January. But for today, (coughs) being that it's the last Sunday of 2013, I wanted to take a look at what the Bible has to say about time and how we spend time, and some of the things that He expects us to do with our time. Um, These years seem to flow faster and faster the older I get, and I'm sure those who are even older than I am would say that they understand that even more than I do. Um, Let's open an order prayer first, though. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to uh, open your word and to to uh, fellowship around it. We pray that the words that come out of uh, my mouth, Lord, would be honoring to you, and that the meditations of my heart would bring honor to you, and that you would teach us all what you want us to learn during this time. We commit it to you, and we ask you to bless everyone in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, before we turn to our first passage, I would like to read this little example to you. If you had a bank that credited your account with $86,000 that carried over no balance from day to day, allowed you to keep no cash in your account, and every evening canceled whatever part of that amount you failed to use during the day, what would you do? Draw, draw out every cent every day, of course, and use it to your advantage. Well, you have such a bank, and it is time. Every morning it credits you with 86,400 seconds. Every night it rules off as lost. <clears throat> whatever of this you fail to invest to good purpose. It carries over no balances. It allows no overdrafts. Each day it opens a new account with you. If you fail to use the day's deposits, the loss is yours. There is no going back. There is no drawing against tomorrow. And as I have learned it seems like over and over again in these last two years, we are no none of us guaranteed tomorrow. About a week and a half ago, a friend of mine who I actually haven't talked to in several years went in for a routine doctor's appointment, had some kind of procedure done, I'm not sure of all the details. But as a result of the procedure, he passed away at the age of 35. And I know he's happier. 
and he's better off because he's not in a wheelchair anymore. And he was a believer, so he's with the Lord. But he had no idea when he went in for that procedure that he wasn't going to live beyond that day or beyond those couple of days that he was in the hospital. And so we have no idea what the future is going to bring forth. So my first challenge to you, and I'm going to be spelling the word time with my points. So the T is for temperate. Time is temporary. If you're taking notes, that's where we will begin. And if you would like to turn to James chapter 4, verses 13 to 15. James really spells this out in uh, plain English, if you will. I can't say plain English because he didn't write this in English, but we have the English translation and it's pretty clear. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead you ought to say, If the Lord live, if the Lord wills, we shall live to do this or that. Now, of course, God is not against planning, for he says in the Proverbs, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. And then it talks about how she prepares for the winter and stores away for the future. So God is not against planning. But he wants us to be ever mindful of the fact that every day we have is a gift from Him. And we can't use tomorrow's minutes before today. Remember we talked about that account. We have the minutes, the hours, the seconds of today to do with what we will before we move on to tomorrow. To look at it another way, Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow, for sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get so caught up in tomorrow, or next year, or what I want to do in the next five years, that I'm not appreciating where God has me now, the opportunities that He has for me now. And you know, the opportunities that he has for me now came out of opportunities that he had for me a year ago. So I don't ever know what other opportunities are going to open up for me if I just trust him for the now and wait and see what unfolds tomorrow. I think it's a mercy that he doesn't always show us tomorrow because there are some tomorrows that when they get here, I wish they would have never come. But He knows what to show us. He knows what to give us. And I think grace works that way too. He gives us the grace 
for the moment that we're in. For the circumstance that we're in, He gives us the grace. Some people say, how can you deal with your disability, what you have to go through every day? I would never be able to do it. You know, if God puts you in a wheelchair tomorrow, He will give you the grace to live your life in a wheelchair. But right now, that's not your lot in life. But I found it true what Jesus said. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. If we can look at one more scripture just reinforcing this first point, Proverbs 27 verse 1. If somebody could find that and read that for me. Proverbs 27 verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. This again just reinforces this whole idea of do not say today or tomorrow we will do this or that. That's why I I try to preface all my talking about future plans with the phrase Lord willing. It comes right out of this passage. That if God is willing, I will do such and such a thing. You know, I hope that Jesus comes back in 2014. Because it's time. I'm sick of death. I'm sick of seeing friends pass away. I'm sick of being lame. I'm sick of living through cold winters. But let me tell you this, if God chooses not to come back in 2014, and if God leaves me here on this earth, Lord willing, I will still be preaching when we see 2015 roll Because that's what God has called me to do. And He is faithful to complete His work in me. And whether I'm here or in the air, I'm in His hands. Time is in His hands. The psalmist said, My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. Make your face shine upon your servant. Save me for your mercy's sake. If you want to turn there, it's Psalm 31, 15-16. And this is a great comfort too. You know, I've had three different times when I thought I was going to die. When I thought my life here on earth was coming to an end. But you know what? I've come to believe and understand that until God is done with me, I'm invincible. I'm not invincible in the way the world sees invincibility. Because I have struggles just like anyone else. But I know that God has a plan for my life and that until He's ready for me to go home, I will not be harmed. I'm reminded of that passage in Acts where God comes to encourage Paul. And He says, Paul, don't be afraid. No one will hurt you in this city. For I have many (coughs) followers there. 
And I think there was an implication in that passage that there would be more to come to Christ through Paul's ministry there. So at least at that moment in time, Paul knew you will not be harmed because you still have work that I want you to do. And we can rest in the confidence that if God still has work for us to do, He will allow us to complete it before He calls us home. We can look at Paul's final words on this subject in 1 Timothy 4, 6, and 7. Somebody could read that for me. First Timothy 4, 6, and 7. These are final words from Paul to Timothy. There's a lot that we talk about uh, with with people's final words. David had final words of advice for Solomon before he passed away. And just all throughout history, it's there's even collections of people's final words because it's always fascinating. What's the last person someone's going to say before they pass away? And this is what Paul said. Does someone have that? Yes. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant. Oh, I think I have First Timothy instead of Second Timothy. I'm sorry. My fault. Second Timothy. Yep. passage, we see that Paul is um, exhorting Timothy that people aren't going to endure sound doctrine. But he needs to keep doing the work that God has for him to do. And Paul is saying, I've been here with you, Timothy, to support you, to be with you, to work with you, and I've prepared you for this moment, and now my time of departure is at hand. And you see this changing of the guard throughout Scripture with Elisha and Elijah, with, uh, with Jesus and His disciples. Even when Joseph died, he charged his family... He said, you will be brought up from Egypt, and when you are, bring my bones back to the land of Canaan. And what does it say when they left Egypt? They brought up the bones of Joseph. And even Timothy is exhorted by Paul. Commit these things that I've told you unto faithful men, that they may be able to teach others also. Why? Because in the grand scheme of time, the life of mankind is very brief upon the globe. 
So the only thing that lasts is what we pass on to the next generation. How quickly we lose the truth of Scripture. Today, even pastors and people that are supposed to be charged with proclaiming the Gospel and the truth of Scripture are pointing out exceptions for how God created marriage and how God created human life within a womb to live and not die by the hand of an abortionist. We need to get back to basics. We need to read the Bible for what it says. And we need to proclaim it. And we need to realize that our times are in His hand. And nowhere was that more evident than in the life of Jesus Christ Himself. For He Himself often had people that wanted to kill him. And he would walk on by them and he would say, and it would say these words, he walked on by for his time had not yet come. But when his time did come, and they came to that garden and they arrested him. First of all, they couldn't do it by themselves. For when he said, I am, they fell backward. Because the power of those words, the power of God in those words, showed them that they were not dealing with a mere man. And yet, sadly, they did not heed this. And he allowed them to take him and to arrest him and to beat him and to put him on a cross. But when the time came, three days later, he rose again from the dead. Our third point in our little acrostic here is time is a mercy to us. Time is a mercy. says in his second epistle beloved do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness but is long suffering toward us not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. 2 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. And as we look at this passage, we, we, he's talking to people who have been asked this question, where is the promise of His coming? You're saying Jesus is coming back, but I haven't seen Him yet. And Peter explains that not only is the Lord going to keep His promise, but the reason that He's holding back thus far is because He wants everyone to come to repentance. 
you know, as excited as I am for the coming of the Lord, there are friends and loved ones I have that I pray for all the time that they would come to the knowledge of the truth. And not just book knowledge, because many of them have book knowledge of the truth, but heart knowledge of the truth. Because although I am ready to go, they are not. And if they are not ready to go and Jesus comes back, they could very well be on this earth when God causes it to melt with fervent heat. Because that's real. It's not just figurative language. It's real. It's going to happen. Because God's going to destroy the earth and then He's going to rebuild a perfect earth. But He's chosen not to do that right now because He is waiting for you to repent. I hope that many, if not all of you, have already repented, but if you have not, this day is a mercy to you. This time when you are in the Lord's house, among His people, is a mercy to you. An opportunity You know, we always talk about New Year's resolutions and how you want to start fresh in the New Year. How great would 2014 be if you started this New Year following the best of masters? Deciding that you are not qualified to be the master of your own life, but that He is. Why? Because He created you. And if He created you, then you might have a thing or two to say about how you are to live your life. But not only did He create you and give you an instruction manual of how to live, He gave you an example of how to live in Jesus Christ. And not only did He give you an example of how to live, but He knew that you couldn't live that way, so He caused Jesus Christ to die on the cross, to pay for your sin, to 100% fulfill the law of God, so that you could be counted righteous. Because He knew you couldn't do it. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. But then He also says, I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens you. So the question is, do you want to be able to do nothing, or do you want to be able to do all things that He calls you to do? I much prefer all things. It's a much greater prospect. Alright. Can we look um, just by further looking at this uh, idea of God's timing being a mercy, 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. I'm crossing my fingers that I wrote it down right this time. So, 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4. This is the good and acceptable. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. God desires all men to come to the truth. 
but he didn't create robots. He created Adam and Eve with an opportunity to decide whether they would obey him. And they decided to disobey him. Because from the beginning of time, the devil has hated humanity. Because humanity is the outward manifestation of the glory of God. Man is made in the image of God. After his likeness. God said, let us make man after our own image. And the devil hated that. Because he said, I will be like God. And because he had that attitude, he was kicked out of heaven. Which kind of makes it puzzling to me why he had audience with God when in Job. Maybe that's one of the questions I'll ask when I get to heaven. But the devil hates you. And sometimes I think we underestimate that. And sometimes I think we underestimate the power of the devil. Because God is powerful. More powerful than the devil. But the devil is powerful. And he's creeping into good theology. So he must be on our guard. The devil wants not just to prevent unbelievers from coming to Christ. That's what I used to think was his main objective. But more than that almost, he wants ineffective Christians. Because if he can expose Christianity as a sham, or at least appear to expose Christianity as a sham, he's won a major victory. Yes, we do have to love one another. But we cannot forsake the truth in the name of love. Jesus never did. He spoke up against the Pharisees. Now, I, I'm not in, in any way invoking violence, okay, or condoning violence. But just remember this. When somebody says, what would Jesus do? Think about the fact that Jesus took out a whip and went into the temple and overturned the money changers. He was not a pacifist. He stood up for what was right. And we need to do the same. <clears throat> Our final point here. Time is for everyone. In John 11, 9 and 10, if you want to turn there. Jesus says this. Are there not twelve hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not with him. Now, of course, most prevalent in this passage is that Jesus is saying right now I am with you right now the light of the world is with you and you can choose to follow the light there's another passage 
where he says, Work while it is yet day, for the night is coming when no man can work. You know the night is coming. But that means that we, as believers, need to shine brighter. We need to be lanterns in the darkness. Also on this point that time is for everyone, you know, sometimes it boggles my mind how certain believers are called home at a very young age and then there are certain people that seem to stick their finger in the very nostrils of God. And they live to an old age here on this earth. But you know, maybe that's yet another manifestation of the mercy of God. Because God is crying out to them to trust Him. And some of these young believers that I know that have called, been called home, they may be young, but they were ready to go. Why? Because their place in heaven was reserved. Because they trusted Jesus Christ for their personal salvation. And I suppose we could even say at this point that it's not necessarily the quantity of years lived, but the quality of them. We must continue to do God's work while we have daylight. We still have freedom to meet here. We don't know how long that's going to last. Our own government wants to take more and more freedoms away from us. We still have the freedom to share the gospel of Jesus Christ without criminal repercussions. But if we're not willing to share Him now, we certainly won't be if it becomes a prosecuted offense. So I encourage you, work while it's yet day. And be thankful that even some of these evil people have lived these long lives because perhaps, perhaps, as they look at death, as they're standing on that precipice, God can reach them. I know he did that for the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross was nailed there. He couldn't move. He couldn't go do acts of service. He couldn't go get baptized really quick in the Jordan. All he could do was say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus graciously said, Verily, verily, I say unto you today, you will be with me in paradise. Will you be with Jesus Christ today in paradise if He calls you home? Is your eternal life secure? Mine is. And one of these days, I'm going to step out of this wheelchair. Step on streets of gold. And then 
I'm going to fall down at the feet of Jesus. And once I fall down there and weep and worship for a time, I'm going to get up and still worshiping, I'm going to run through the streets of gold. And one day I'm going to ride down to the new heaven and the new earth. And I'm going to enjoy it in a perfect body. Because 1 Corinthians tells me that this corruptible will put on incorruption. And this mortal will put on immortality. These things are true. And I'm so excited about that. I hope you are too. I just want to share a final illustration and some final thoughts and then we will conclude. How often have you talked with someone on the telephone who seemed to be in a hurry and wanted to get on with more important business? Or visited with someone in the street and received the same hurried feeling? You've undoubtedly experienced it and didn't enjoy it. And perhaps you've also been guilty of this. If you have, why not decide to tithe the time, save up chunks, bits and pieces of it, and give them away to people who interrupt your pre-established plans. It is a great principle of love that people don't interrupt. Not really. Perhaps there shouldn't even be such a word as interrupt. For when people come into your existence, even for a brief time, that is a wonderful moment of experience for both of you. Relish it. Probe it. Invest some of the time you have tithed. We can't afford to indulge in the luxury of being too busy and important for another person. We have time for such inanimate objects as pieces of mail, vast sprawling shopping centers, the television program which starts at 7.30. But what about relationships with people? Isn't that a great deal of what life is all about? Loving other people? Remember Jesus? How he raced about? hurrying from one city to another, collecting great crowds on the way to give them a few minutes of hurried heaven data, then dashing on to the next place? No, that is not the picture of Jesus that the New Testament gives. He had time for people. In a crowd, a woman touched his robe. Lots of people were probably pushing against him. Touching his robe. But he discerned the urgency in this particular touch. He stopped. He stopped taking valuable time for this. He stopped taking valuable time for this interruption. His disciples were full of fire and computer-like efficiency. They wanted to get on with the task of getting something done, even if they didn't always know what the something was. Once, a bunch of small, grimy-fingered kids came along and wanted to climb on the master's lap. Get those kids out of here, thought the goal-oriented disciples. No, let them stay. Let's enjoy them and let them enjoy us, thought the true oriented man from heaven who knew and expressed the great worth of the individual. The next time a person interrupts you, 
not of your work or of your deadlines. Rather, think of that person's needs, of his co- of his covert compliment in desiring to spend a few moments with you. Your meeting may be a significant point in each of your lives because it is an encounter with another because because it is an encounter with another person God created, you may impart something crucial to his fulfillment. Or he to yours. Paul prayed, May the God who gives patience, steadiness and encouragement help you to live in complete harmony with each other, each with the attitude of Christ toward the other. Romans 15.5 in the Living Bible. Are you caught up on your time, Ty? And that was from Monty Unger in the Navlog in January 1975. But I was very convicted by that. So often we have our schedules, we know what we're about that day, and if something comes to disrupt it, the last thing we think is that it's a God moment. The last thing we think is that God might be doing something. But God is always doing something. He's always working, even when we don't see it. Or perhaps especially when we don't see it. And the encouragement to you as we go into 2014 is to think of your time as a gift from God to be used for God to lead people to God. If it's an unbeliever, maybe you'll be one of the people that's used to lead him to Christ. If it's a believer, maybe you'll be one of the people that helps them stay on the path when they are so close to giving up. May God bless you in this new year. May He keep you. May His face shine upon you and give you peace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank You for the example of Jesus Christ. We thank You for these uh, gems that we have gleaned about time in your holy scriptures. We thank you for a Savior that lived above time and was willing to condescend to come into time for the sake of mankind. Lord, we pray that as another year dawn, that in working or in waiting, it will be another year for you. We pray this in the name of the one and only risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.